Chaturvarnya Mayashrishtam Guna Karma Vibhagasa Tashikartarama Pimam Vidya Kartarama Vyayam. According to the three modes of material nature and the work associated with them, the four divisions of human society are created by me. And although I am the creator of this system, you should know that I am yet the non-doer, being unchangeable. Omajana Trimanandasya, Janajana Salakaya, Chakshura Unmilitanyena, Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha. I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual master has opened my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. So as we were saying, it's not that the material creation is just put out there for the living entity to do as he sees fit. He can do as he sees fit, but in pretty close confines. First confinement, of course, is the material body. And our material bodies were awarded according to our acts actions in this field of activity. If we, even coming to the human form of life, if we are given this opportunity of the human form of life where we have fine intellect and some perception of the spiritual reality of existence, if we don't take advantage of it, there's even the possibility of again falling down into the lower levels of consciousness. Again, falling down and again becoming an animal, which is kind of a scary thing. Once you come to a human form of life, the thought should be a little bit uh, off-putting that we could again you know, mess up so bad. But material nature is such that if, we don't, if you don't take good advantage of what's offered, there's every proper opportunity for you to lose it. From the, from the transcendentalist perspective, Yes, there's a perfect balance. But from the perspective of one suffering under the modes of material nature in samsara, birth, death, old age, disease, coming from one body to another body to another, that transcendental perspective is, for the most part, lost. So yes, does it all balance out? Yes, it's perfect. In one of the Upanishads, the Isopanishad, there's a verse, Om Purnam Araha Purnam Idam, Purna Purnam Udachite, Purnasya Purnamadaya, Purnam Eva Vasishyate. The Supreme is perfect and complete, and that we can understand. But he's so perfect and complete that every emanation coming from him, all his various energies, all the various living entities, they are in themselves also perfect and complete. So yes, there is a perfect balance. And everything does ultimately come to a perfect conclusion. But tell that to the guy on death row who's misused his independence and is going to have to suffer because of it. Ultimately, there's perfect justice. Even the justice of the material world is perfect justice. And the prisoner on death row will meet perfect justice for his abominable activity. The problem is we need to come to that level of transcendental awareness where we can see everything as poor nam.
everything is perfect and complete. And without vision of the supreme, that's not going to be possible for us, is it? If you're in the illusion and not knowing that everything's working perfectly under the agency and auspices of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, then you're not going to be aware of that reality. So the point here, one point, there are so many points when we look at the Varnashram system. It's a perfect system for the upliftment of those living entities who have finally come to the human form of life. And it works perfectly with all the living entities who have come to the human form of life in spite of their conditioning in the modes of material nature. This system of Varnashram uplifts everyone from those that are in the grossest ignorance to those who are the spiritual intellectuals and practitioners, to those who are so spiritually advanced and transcendent to the material arrangement where they don't even concern themselves with this arrangement of Chatur Varnyam Mayashrishtam. Because why? They're not in the gunas. What's the second verse? Guna karma vibhagasa. Guna of quality. So what are the qualities in the material world? They're explained in the purport to be three. Three general divisions. Goodness, passion, and ignorance. In this material world, none of those qualities are unaffected by the other qualities. What does that mean? In this plane of existence, you will not find pure goodness without a tinge of passion or ignorance. There's not 100% goodness. There's not 100% passion. There's not 100% ignorance. Maybe there's 99.9% .9 goodness, 99.9% .9 ignorance, but there's always some little mixture. And you'll notice as you begin to study the Bhagavad, uh, when we begin to understand the way the material creation is, it comes about, you'll see that first there's the three qualities, and that three becomes nine, and that nine becomes 81. And just when we look at the living entity, the spirit soul, what did those qualities just expand? It's almost unlimitedly. How many species of living entities are there? 8,400,000. 8,400,000 different species, of which only 400,000 are human. We can see the way the modes of material nature interact. Now, this system of Varnashram is important for humanity at large because it's set up in such a way that one works according to his qualities. And therefore, he is satisfied in life and he can dedicate some of his intelligence and energy to spiritual culture. No matter if he's the Brahmin in goodness or the Sudra laborer who simply works for others, he's satisfied if he's employed according to his qualities. And we'll notice as we go on in study of, of, of Bhagavad Gita that 
it's not recommended that one try to work outside of his natural qualities. And we see that from the very beginning. Arjuna put forth an argument to, to Krishna, and he said, I don't want nothing to do with this fighting. I just can't get behind it. Better I renounce, become a spiritualist, go out to the forest and renounce. And Krishna told him, Krishna acting as guru, told him straight up, it's not going to work for you. It's not your nature. These qualities, this material world imposes upon us a nature based on our desires and based on our prior activities. It's imposed upon us. So this system of Varnashram Dharma is for everyone's upliftment. Ultimately, coming to the stage of pure spiritual existence. And it's generally a very gradual process. Many life after life after life, people go on and on and elevate themselves. Now back to your point. Kali Yuga. Kali Yuga has this unfortunate situation. In Kali Yuga, everybody is greatly influenced by the mode of ignorance. In Kali Yuga, Shastra says, what is the verse? Practically everyone is Sudra or lower. Not even a Sudra. Not even a good common worker. Because of that, it's called the age of quarrel and hypocrisy. It's one sudra working for another sudra, but the other sudra thinks he's more qualified. It, it just gets into a very uncomfortable situation because of exploitation. So therefore, you see governments run, what do we say? Governments gone wild. They should have a, what do they, a, a reality show on TV, you know. They could have the different, uh, you know, leaders of the different countries of the world competing to see which government is going the wildest, you know. <laughs> Who is really the worst le leader? Was it, uh, you have low-class people putting themselves, you first of all have low-class people in this country electing another low-class person to be their leader. <laughs> What's the result? Well, you elected and now you can suffer with him. So we all thought, oh, here's, here's our great hope. This man will put it all together. He'll end the war. He'll put the economy back on track. He's such a good speaker on the campaign trail. This man's heart is in the right place. Here it is, four years later. Will he be reelected? He may have sounded like his heart was in the right place. Maybe it was, but he wasn't able to administrate things, was he? He didn't accomplish what he said he would accomplish. Too bad. Boy, if he'd accomplished what he said he would accomplish, we'd all feel a lot better. This is the nature of Kali Yuga. Kalo Sudra Sambhava. All the mankind in this age is, is in the lowest platform. Sudras or less than Sudras. Krishna, Krishna invented at the end of the last Yuga, Dwarfa Yuga. Mm -hmm. When he left, Kali began to manifest his presence. The last true ruler was Maharaj Parikshit. 
And Maharaj Pariksit, of course, is the grandson of Arjuna. He still had true leadership qualities. He was able to put Kali in his place, but Kali had already in faith infiltrated in society. When you begin to study Srimad Bhagavatam, you'll, you'll find out of the exchange between Maharaj Pariksit and Kali, Yuga, the personification of Kali. Personification of Kali was there, and there's a whole an analogy there of exactly what Kali did. And what he did is he tried to kill a cow. And he tried to kill the bull that represented religion. So he was he was stopped by Parikshit. Not completely stopped. Parikshit allowed him, he didn't kill him, which he could have done, because he was inflicting harm on a lower living entity. When we come to the human form of life, we're expected to attain a level of human sanity. In the lower animals, we see that according to their station, jiva, jiva, sajivanam. One jiva soul is the food for another jiva soul. If my dog ever catches the cat, he'll probably try to eat it. So we see in animal society, one living entity is the food for another living entity. When we come to the human form of life, we're expense, expected to be responsible stewards of the environment. That means that we care for the lower living entities. We don't simply act like a ferocious animal and exploit them. So Kali Yuga, bad age. Bad age, bad situation. But it is possible to break out that cycle. Yes, it is. It is. In fact, it's able, if, you, if, you, if we go back to the end of this purport, mm -hmm. some very important points are made there by Bhaktivedanta Swami. He talks of the, of the fact that even this Varnashram system does not have to be followed by one whose only purpose becomes spiritual upliftment. In other words, if you can get out of the exploitative consciousness and fully dedicate yourself and your existence to spiritual consciousness. And again, this doesn't mean that we have to give up what we do. Arjuna was not advised to give up his duties as a Kshatriya. Instead, he was advised to fight for Krishna. We're advised to live for the Supreme to live for God. If we can come to that level of, a, of existence, then there's no need for all these detailed regulations of Varnashram Dharma. However, and this is an important point, you will find in the activities of even devotional service, in the beginning of devotional practice, that we are recommended to strictly follow spiritual regulation in our life, referred to as vaidhi bhakti, rules and regulations, do's and don'ts, get up early, chant Hare Krishna every day, fix number of rounds, restrain from sinful activities, engage in godly activities, associate with the devotees, 
given charity. So many details are there. And the guru, according to the circumstances of society, he adjusts those details. At a certain stage of spiritual advancement, the regulations of Vaidhi Bhakti that have been given by the guru according to the circumstance of his disciples, their culture, and what they can reasonably handle, just like Bhaktivedanta Swami came to the United States. Now, in Indian culture, when you take to spiritual life and you go to the ashram, you really, you concentrate on your chanting a lot. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. And you chant on, a, on beads. And you chant once around the beads, and that's from there over to the other side, and then you turn them around and go the other way. So when you go from one side to the other, that's one round. And then you turn around and go back to the other side, it's another round, two. In the culture of India, when somebody went to the ashram to become a spiritual student, when Bhaktivedanta Swami went to the ashram, became a spiritual student, the recommendation was 64 rounds a day. So when he came to the United States and started ashrams and <laughs> brought in students, he said, so we chant 64 rounds a day. The devotees, of course, wanting to please Prabhupada, their spiritual master, they tried. Now generally, if you chant a ten of japa, each bead where you can hear clearly, a good chanter goes eight to ten rounds in an hour. So that would mean 64 rounds, even if you're chanting good. I chant eight rounds an hour. That's my pace. Never really changed that pace for my whole life, but that's just my pace. But let's take the high end, those that can, that can complete 10 rounds in an hour. That's six and a half hours of chanting. So the devotees are there trying to chant six and a half. They're falling asleep. They can't concentrate. They're losing their attention. Okay, just chant 32 rounds. Okay. Devotees come back a few days later. Papa, we can't chant 32 rounds. We can't, we can't concentrate that long. Papa adjusted it. Okay. Just you chant 16 rounds. Two hours a day. <laughs> Two hours a day. That was his standard. Now, I notice in his institution, of course, that's their standard. They try to maintain that 16 rounds. If you want to be take initiation, then 16 rounds are there. Like Tripurari Swami, he, he says, what can you chant effectively? What can you chant effectively? You begin there. What's initiation mean? Begin. Beginning. Initiation means we begin. He wants everybody to begin their spiritual life. And if your beginning is not 16 rounds or 32 rounds or 64 rounds or 128 or 174 plus rounds, which is what Haridas Thakur chanted every day, 300,000 holy names every day. Mantra is 16, so you have 16 times 108, 1,600. Well, he chanted 300,000. 
work out the math. I did the math the other morning. That would mean even if he chanted 12 rounds an hour, which is, I've heard devotees do that. I don't know many of them, but I've heard some devotees say, I can do 12 rounds in an hour, Prabhu. Yeah. <laughs> do you hear every any word at all? Anyway, that's what they say. Krishna, Krishna is really hard to do fast. <laughs> At a reasonable pace, he would be chanting 17, 18 hours a day. But what's important is we chant and we hear and we're attentive and we have a desire to advance in spiritual life. That's what is important. The specific direction the guru gives is according to the capacity of the student. The effective guru will search out that capacity and give everyone the opportunity to begin their spiritual life. All of these details are in the stage of Vaidhi Bhakti. Vaidhi Bhakti means our heart hasn't, we're still attached to enjoyment and we, there's still some, the heart is not completely cleansed yet. So we follow these regulations to cleanse our heart. Once the heart is cleansed, there's no need to worry about the regulations anymore. Just like we notice in this verse, Bhaktivedanta points out there's no need for this transcendentalist to follow the Varnashram system. There's no need for the realized devotee who's come to the stage of spontaneous love. Spontaneous love is different than trying to cleanse your heart, a heart that doesn't even know what love is that can't even feel love. So in the beginning, the guru gives us directions. We follow the directions. That's the stage of Vaidhi Bhakti. Eventually, the heart will soften. The unwanted habits will fall away and we'll come to the stage of Ragmarg. There'll be a natural love that will manifest. Once you're at the stage of love, all the rules can be thrown out, can't they? Even in conventional love. When love takes over, all the details of the courtship are, of no, are no longer of any importance. The love has taken over. You don't have to come with flowers every night and knock on her door. She wants you to come in. When someone comes to the stage of practicing spiritual life and makes that their prime objective, at that time, all the material regulations of Vedic society, Varnashram Dharma, as explained in this verse, also become irrelevant. But until you are at that stage, as long as you're still under the influence of the modes of material nature and still conducted by a desire for exploitation or renunciation, you have to follow the Varnashram Dharma system. And society has to be molded in that way so everyone makes advancement. So it gets subtler and subtler. From Varnashram Dharma, then we come to the direction of a guru where you want spiritual life, and he gives you Vaidhi Bhakti, rules and regulations, worship of the deity, so many things to keep you, your mind and senses engaged in the service of the Lord. Eventually the heart is purified and love takes over. And then all those regulations are no longer of any importance. But 
even at that stage of pure love. The Ragmarg, the path of love and devotion, Raganuga Bhakti, even at that stage, the devotee, what's he do? He practices, he still looks, and the way he conducts his life for the benefit of society, it still looks like he's practicing Vaidhi Bhakti. He still chants rounds, he still conducts himself in such a way that other people can learn by his example. The people that don't yet have the natural love that he has developed through his lifetime of practice. And similarly, the spiritualists in society, even though they have the right objective, like Arjuna, surrendering to Krishna at the end of Bhagavad Gita, he's still conducting his affairs according to Varnashram Dharma. Why? To teach society at large. The necessity is not there. But at that stage, the compassionate heart of the devotee gives perfect example through his life. Any questions? Not when love takes over. In other words, when you come to the highest platform of, of self-realization, there's no need to practice it anymore. You've got it. In, in, you are correct when we look at it from a material perspective. In the material world, what do they say? Use it or lose it. But when we come to our true spiritual perfection, that's no longer influenced by that use it or lose it influence. Well, the slipping back is there. And we find in the Bhagavat that even somebody that's come to the stage of bhava, and we can discuss the different stages of advancement, even that somebody comes to the stage of overwhelming ecstasy, he can, yes, it's a fact. If, not, if we're not careful, yes. Uh, and therefore, the great acharyas, the spiritual masters, the teachers, those that have tread the path, give the warning. As long as with, you're within the jurisdiction of this material world, you always are very careful to follow spiritual direction. Never think that you're above and that's why the most important thing for the aspiring spiritualist is to continually wear the verse that we chant every week around his neck. If you really want to sincerely chant and be effective in your chanting, feel yourself continually humbled. Lower in the straw in the street, devoid of all sense of false prestige, ready to offer all respects another. In, in that state of mind, there is no question of falling down from spiritual life. Even my spiritual master, who was, in my estimation, a Mahabhagavat, he said, 
There is not a day goes by that I don't pray to Krishna that I did not fall down for my service. So yes, you're right. We never, we never take it for granted as long as we're in the material world. Good point. Thank you. disciplines that we have to engage in to stay focused, especially starting out. It reminded me, Swami Shukarai was talking about, um, he was giving a talk, I think in Oregon, and um, one of the devotees who has been in the, or has been in the movement for quite a while, raised his hand halfway through and said, whatever happened to just chant and be happy? Why don't, why don't you just chant and be happy? And Swami said, I don't know, why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, the medicine will become very sweet. Yeah, yeah. And, and when you were talking about the stages, like this, the Vaidhi Bhakti, that's those practices, which is going along with what you talked about last week, the Anasana virtue, getting rid of the anxiousness. Mm-hmm. Vaidhi Bhakti is there, up to the stage. Bhav, bhava is really the stage of revelation. Mm-hmm. Once you come to the stage of being overwhelmed by Krishna's, being overwhelmed by spiritual emotion, you can feel pretty confident that you're well situated. But even Bharat Maharaj, who was in Bhava, yeah. he became overly affectionate to a, a little deer, calf. And yeah. as an example to us, he's there in the Bhagavad, he actually take, took birth as a deer for a lifetime. Of course, as a deer, he came to assemblies where we, we meet in the house, but the sages used to meet out in the woods because that's where they could find their very tranquil uh, environment. So they wouldn't, and this deer would always come up and listen to Krishna Katha, the sages talk about Krishna, like we're talking every week. So he passed one lifetime in that way. And then he came back as Jud Bharat. And as Jud Bharat, he refused to do anything. He wouldn't talk. He wouldn't interface with society. He did not want to fall down again. All this is in the Bhagavad. Srimad Bhagavatam. Yes, sir. I'm glad you mentioned about, you were explaining about the Varnashram system being the whole system being for the purpose of uplifting everyone according to their position because a lot of people that I know have talked to me about this. They see Varnashram as being very similar to the modern day caste system in India, which is very much a social and keeps people. I mean, it's very different. So sometimes people will hear this and think it's trying to keep people in their place rather than uplifting. Yeah. Thanks for. Uh, did you give them those samosas? No. Might as well serve those out. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.
Hello? So we'll see you sometime. You ever come again here? I don't know when's that. Mm, don't know. Week from Saturday? Week from Saturday. I don't know. I may not be in town, but yeah, it'll be good to see you. Hare Krishna.